Um, our passage this morning is our life in 2020. Our whole life in 2020 is James 4, 13 through 17. So let me read it. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Pray with me. Father, show us Jesus this morning through this passage. Show us what you want for us. Guide us through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I started writing this introduction sitting on the front, front porch one morning while we were at family camp. If you don't know us, we're big pine cones. I, didn't, I almost wore my Pine Cove gator today, but instead it's Raising Cane's, one love. Uh, so almost wore my Pine Cove one, uh, but we signed up. This was our ninth summer to do it. We signed up at the end of the week for our tenth summer as a family going to Pine Cove family camp. It is kind of the staple of our year. We go every year. Uh, we started when we had two small kids. And now we have three medium-sized kids, uh, and Lord willing, we will continue it until we have no more kids in the home, or something like that, because I don't know if our youngest will just want to go with just us as everybody else has aged out. So every year, even the ones that were unspectacular, in fact, our first year ended as we were driving home to Louisiana with uh, Courtney. And me, we were, we were fighting. We were yelling at each other on the way home from a week of family camp. So, go us, right? We are, if you, I, thought, I told her yesterday we should write a book called Marriage for the Rest of Us. Because everybody who writes marriage books seems to have it together. Uh, so, we just need to write a book called, like, This is How We Fight. Uh, this is what our life is like. Year one, not good. Even the unspectacular years are, are good years. And this past one was different, right? Temp checks every morning, uh, just a different way they structured the events and what we did and how we did it and who was with us and when they were there and everything was different. Every year we re-up and we don't know how we're going to pay for it or if we're going to even live in Texas or Louisiana or wherever we are. We're unsure of what's going to happen. And I bet you do the same kind of thing. You saw Hannah talking about her planner. This is my planner, and this is what I do. I have, I have a routine that I try to go through, which has been just totally decimated as of 2020, but I try to go, this day I do this, this day I do this, this day I do this. You probably have things on your schedule for six months from now, one year from now, two weeks from now, three months from now. Potentially, you have, if you're weird, you have like some five-year family plan or five-year job plan or five-year personal plan where, you know, everybody has to ask you that when you're in a job interview. Well, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, um, making three times as much and your boss. I mean, you don't know what to say in those things. What do you see yourself in five years? We always, don't we just always just kind of make stuff up? You know, well, hopefully I'm still doing a good job and I'm still really employed and uh, you love me and we all love each other and things are great. 
we have a, a world that wants us to plan for a long time and structure how we think about what we're going to do. Your schedule, think about it. Continuing education, staff Christmas parties, family reunions, visits to friends. I mean, you can't, if if we tried to apply this passage to plane flights, we'd all be buying flights the day of, when they're the most expensive. And so, you know, you got to buy tickets like five, six, seven months out. Some people are like, oh, I can't wait. We're going to go on our uh, Israel trip or our tour of Rome and Paul in prison. We're going to go do that in like 2024. I was just put on the schedule to teach a course in fall 2021. Schedule in fall 2021. I said, I don't know what my schedule in fall 2021 is. Come on. So when you get to a passage like today's passage, where James is like, hey, you folks who have a great plan for your year, who travel and do business and make a profit, you, you folks who do that, I have words for you. What do you do? What do you do when, when we live, believer or unbeliever, when we live in a way that is markedly different than what we see in the Scriptures? We talk about gaps a lot, right? Like, this is how I live. And this is what the Lord seems to say. And very often in our planning, it feels like that's what's going on. I live my life, I make my schedule, I plan my stuff, and I then bring it to the Lord sometimes. Uh, but I also just assume He's sovereign and good, so whatever. You know, like, like we just have this way of planning that is often different than what it seems like the Lord wants from us. So as we focus in on James 4, 13 through 17, we'll be shown a way to think about our lives that helps us to plan in a way that submits to God's power and sovereignty. When I say sovereignty, I mean his, his control over, his, his domain. Because our lives are really his domain. They're not ours. Plans aren't evil, but our intent in our planning can often be worldly which is evil. The intent needs to be rejected for a better way. And James shows us a better way in this passage. So we start with this idea that plans without God are arrogant. They're arrogant. Even if they're tentative, they're arrogant. And you see that in verses 13, 14, and 16. I skip over reason because he's going to give kind of this is what it looks like. Then he goes, as it is, you do this. So 13, 14, and 16 represent their perspective. Right at the beginning, he's talking to business people, wealthy people, and in the next passage tomorrow, or tomorrow, next Sunday, he also talks to wealthy people. But the difference is in this part, He's talking to folks and gives them kind of a Christian worldview behind it. In the first part of chapter 5, there's no worldview other than judgment that comes on the rich. Uh, I would say that this portion is speaking to believers who are living in an arrogant position because he gives the now do it this, do this instead. But as we get to chapter 5, we're going to see a tone of judgment, eternal judgment on the behavior of the rich or those who have worldly wealth. So there's a bit of a difference going on between the rich at the end of chapter 4 and the rich at the beginning of chapter 5. 
But let's just start with verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, he's making this kind of a hypothetical, and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Right? He's, he's speaking about what they might say or what they might do. So verse 13 does seem benign enough. What's the problem with having a plan? Everybody here has a plan. Everybody in the room, everybody watching, we all have things we do. We know what time we have to be at work tomorrow. We know when our meetings are. We know what our schedule says. We know when we've taken vacation and when we haven't. Very often our schedules revolve around birthdays, anniversaries, friends, whatever it might be. We have that. So when he says, hey, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to travel here and do this and do business, a lot of business people probably go, well, that's me. I, I, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like you have to kind of map out what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. So plans are a necessary thing, aren't they? A few verses that help us with that. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel... Plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So that seems to be pro-planning, just pro-planning with counselors, people who give you advice on what you're going to do. Consider Jesus, this is actually talking about the cost of disciple-making, the cost of following him, but then he will use an illustration from the world and planning to say, if you're going to follow me, you should really consider it, because look at the way even worldly people consider things. Luke 14, for which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's again a planning thing, isn't it? Now, Americans are like, forget it, we'll figure out the budget later. You know, but generally, <laughs> who's going to go ahead and try an endeavor without being sure that they can complete the endeavor? Jesus is saying, so why, if I follow me, if you're not going to realize what that means, which is death to yourself. Consider Paul. We recently read this in our F260, Romans chapter 15, 22, 23, and 24 reads like this. This is the reason, which is proclaiming Christ among the unreached, why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. I no longer have any room for the work in these regions where I've been because the gospel's been proclaimed and I've longed for many years to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. That clearly seems like a plan. Philemon 22. When I say 22, it's because Philemon's one chapter, so we don't use, it's not one 22, it's just 22. <clears throat> At the same time, Paul says, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Old Testament, New Testament, plans, 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 plans. This is what I hope. This is what I want to see. This is what I intend to do. So James is going to confront these guys in chapter 13 or verse 13 of chapter 4. You guys who make plans, like that seems to be just in keeping with what you're supposed to do. But when we said plans without God are arrogant, you look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, what your county threat level will be at, whether or not you, your friends, your family, or your co-workers have been sick, and now you've got to shut it down for two weeks. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You're like a vapor that appears for a while 
then vanishes. So there are some problems that show up in verse 14, which help us understand why their plans weren't God's plans. Their plans were just their plans. Here's the first problem that they had. They neglected that they were uh, unsure about tomorrow. Did you hear that? They neglected the fact that they really don't know anything. That they're not, they shouldn't be as confident as they feel. Right, so he's contrasting their behavior, which doesn't really consider God, because like, well, this is what we're going to do. You ever been that person? Right, this is how we're going to live. This is what we're going to do. No, this is going to work out. Tickets are bought. Everything's booked. We're going to be there on vacation. Got the hotel. Everything's lined up just as it needs to be. But consider Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow is going to be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thus, what's happening in James's audience is an overconfidence about what will come. A personal assurance that life will be this way. When really... They have no control over it. I think we need to consider the significance of such a statement. Do you realize that all of your planning and all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all of your confidence might actually be neglecting a simple principle that you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow? None. I mean, really, when 2020 began, who saw this? You've seen the little meme that's gone around recently about, like, somebody must have figured out time travel because, and they keep trying to fix what is broken, but every time they fix what is broken, something worse happens. Like, that's kind of how it feels, right? Like, we're in a bad episode of Lost. Uh, so, so this is like, who, who saw it like this in this way? Some of you are like, oh, I saw it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. We have no control over tomorrow. None. I was with one of my kids recently, and he was just crying about how much he hates 2020. I hate this year. Nothing is happening like it's supposed to. This is different. This is different. This is different. I can't do this. We can't do this. Everything's canceled. And even though he's crying, like all of you are crying on the inside. You're just hiding it. Why? Because your confident expectation on how things should go has been totally revoked by God in that we recognize in this. You might go, well, are you saying God did this? I'm not saying that. That God's power and our power are now coming to grips with one another. Our assurance of what will be and God's assurance of what will be are two totally different things. And when we realize that we really have no power to bring into effect what should come, not even tomorrow, but in 30 minutes, then we realize something significant. So the first thing they recognize or they neglect to recognize is that we don't know what's coming. Their plans didn't know. They assumed what was coming. 
else. When James says you're like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes, they forgot that they are frail and temporary. It is closely tied to the first. The first one looks to, as we're talking about it, to what God's able to do. The second one looks at just who we are. And really, we have no power an outcome that we want. I've shared this before. It was one of those lines that stuck with me forever when my, uh, one of my kids was going to need surgery after being born. We already knew it was coming. Hey, this is what we see. This is what's going to happen. Assuming that all goes according to plan, he'll be born and there'll be surgery. And I was talking to my friend just via email, and I said, this is how I feel, and this is what's going on, and I just feel helpless. I feel helpless. There's nothing I can do as a dad that can fix what's going to need to happen. He said this, helplessness is a good emotion because it's the closest emotion to the way things actually are. You are like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes. It's quick. I recently heard a story of a family patriarch who had passed away. You might have people in your life like that. And what happens is, right, it just is like a gut punch. You lose a parent, you lose a grandparent, you lose someone with spiritual significance in your family. And it kills you. And that death is tough. Hear me here. For a while. But in a short it might mean decades. But in a short feeling has been forgotten because the quickness of life moves along. It moves right on by. Life is a vapor, and to forget that, to forget how frail we are, how quickly life moves on, is to neglect the truths about God and this world and His power versus ours. His strength versus ours. But these positions have not yet been called arrogant. They might have been called foolish. They haven't been called arrogant. That's where verse 16 comes in. But as it is, as, it, as you are currently operating, you're boasting in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I mean, who wants to open up the planner and just write in six months, you know, Christmas party with family and in parentheses evil, like, and just, you know, and put that on their calendar. You know, Christmas Eve service evil. Um, like, well, it just doesn't feel good to do. But we have to look at this from the perspective, as we're able, because we can't really get into God's mind. Perspective. From what he has revealed, he knows everything. To live in a way that assumes we know anything about tomorrow is to take from God what is His. 
in a way that is arrogant. Remember, even just last week, verses 11 and 12, there's one lawgiver and judge. Anyone who boasts or boasts against or criticizes or slanders a fellow believer judges the law because you're taking its place. To plan with such confidence removes God from the equation. It's the perspective where you're so sure of what will happen, you act as if it has. Every step mapped out, every turn. You know what's going to happen with your kids. You know the person they're going to marry. You know the college they're going to go to before they even can pronounce college. You have a plan for their life. You have a spouse for their life. You have a job for their life. You have a hope for their life. You have all of those things. And then it doesn't happen. Well, what do we do? It's kind of two ways to go. Double down in your anger and in your arrogance. Or admit you knew nothing the whole time and surrender. Verse 15, to go back from verse 16, because this is where James gives us the response that he wants. We'll see that planning in submission to God shows our dependence. Planning without God shows our arrogance, but planning in submission to God shows our dependence, which is where we need to be. Surrender, dependent. Humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Right? All of James has this position of surrendered hearts before God. Verse 15 seems simple, but it's not. Not simple to live, simple to say. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But simple ideas aren't always simple to live out. James is giving us, is he giving us magic words? I know in my life it kind of happened like this. You read this passage, then you kind of tag Lord willing onto everything because you feel like it's like that makes your plans come about. So you're like, well, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. And then you start to get annoyed when people say it because you're like, oh, of course I know you mean Lord willing, right? Like, of course you are willing, and you should at least. And so you have kind of the cycle where you say it, then you're tired of saying it because you feel like it's just, you know, pixie dust words. Then you get annoyed with people who say it because you feel like they don't mean it. But what is James giving us? A worldview. A perspective. A surrendered perspective says, if my Father in heaven wants this to happen, it will. Lord willing, I will do this. Notice that it's not anti-planning, it's anti-arrogance. See the difference there? Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, this is our plan. The difference between position one, which they have, which is we're going to do this and we're sure of it, and position two is we like to do this, but really it's the Lord to make it come about. And it might change. Now, isn't it funny, though, because how many here in this room or watching at home like when plans change? It's frustrating. 
You're like, but you said this is what was going to happen. You said this is what we're going to do today. We put this on the calendar two months ago that today was going to look like this. This isn't to give us an out for being a bad planner or for being lazy. But if we really do believe that God is sovereign and in control of every step and every moment and every plan and every day and every, every week and every vacation and everything else, if we really do feel that way, then we should not be bothered when plans change. Because a surrendered heart goes, okay, that's what the Lord is doing. And we will do that. Worldview that recognizes God's strength and our weakness. His power and our lack of power. His knowledge and our incredible, terrible, arrogant, to plan anything effectively. This type of attitude is submissive and surrendered. This is an attitude that recognizes God's work in small and large ways in how you spend your day. And the approach that you should give to any planning. So do I want you to say, Lord willing? I actually do sometimes wish we would say that more. Not as just lip service, but because it's a way of actually remembering this is not my plan. Even in prepping for this, I've started to say it more. Because that's just how 2020's been. Hey, you want to get together tomorrow? I have no idea. We'll put it on the calendar and we'll get together a minute before, text each other, and we'll see if it's still on. Because I have no idea anymore. Isn't it funny how 2020 has abolished our plans and our confidence in what's to come? I have all kinds of stuff planned. I have the sermon calendar planned, I have passages done, I have future sermon outlines, we have songs we like to be singing, we have all kinds of stuff that's kind of in the hopper. We have vacation for 2021, got apparently teaching for fall 2021, we're not even a year away from that. There are all kinds of stuff on the calendar. But what do we really know? That God has us in this moment. And he might have us in other moments, but we don't know. Because fundamentally, we're helpless to bring about what God intends for every single one of us. Now, let's think about Jesus for a second. If anybody, if anybody had the ability to do what he wanted, wouldn't it be Jesus? I mean, I think, I think, yeah, kids would know that. Can Jesus do what he wants? Sure. But let's listen to how he speaks about it. John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do, what's that word? Nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I mean, that should, that should teach us about our Savior. I can't do anything myself. I do only what the Father's doing. This is that idea, if the Lord wills. 
I use this illustration a lot because it's how it works, but Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I long for this cup to be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Jesus shows us this. He lives this. He demonstrates this. He is this for us. Day by day. To live as the Father wills. might have an idea why James, half-brother of Jesus, is speaking about it like he is. Because he saw up close and personal his older brother, God, living in dependence of God the Father. Doing only what God the Father did. The God the Son does not act of his own will, independent of what the Father is doing. So when we say to each other, Lord willing, or I only do what God allows, right? Not magic words, or God, your will be done, or Lord, if you could make it so, or whatever other iteration of that idea might exist, we should mean it. And 2020 might bring us to the breaking point of having to mean it. It might bring us to the point where we go, we don't know what we're doing. If you saw a tweet that went out recently, it was like, all those churches who five years ago gave their 2020 plans are like having them in the incinerator right now. Because it's just a catchy thing, right? Vision 2020, here's our 2020 vision. And now everybody's like, nope, that ain't happening. That was nope. Remember when we were going to have like 10,000 people in our building? Like now we have 0,000 people in our building. Maybe ever. And we're bankrupt. I don't know if that's true. Um, but all of these plans were like, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to see God do. Like I don't remember anybody five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago going, we should plan for a pandemic. Like let's go ahead and just move our church along so that we're ready and prepared for 10 million people globally to get a virus that seems to be relentless in its spread. Let's go ahead and plan for that. People be like, you're crazy. But doesn't 2020 show us we certainly don't have 2020 vision when it comes to what's going to happen. And the longer that we might try and push against that and plan against that, and you heard us saying it. You heard us saying it. Like when things in March started to end, we're like, this week and next week. But only that, and then we'll figure out. And then you're just like, you know what, forget it. We don't know anything about this building anymore. Churches never close. I always feel like I have to say that. Churches never close, but the way we do it sure does have to change now. The way we operate, the way we think, the way we pray, the way we follow up, the way we see people, the way we visit, all of that is now different. Lord willing. I have no other words to use anymore of significance. Man, I hope I can see you soon. Lord willing, we'll be together. Lord willing, it'll be great. Lord willing, we won't get sick. Lord willing, 2021 will look like this. Lord willing, 2022 will look like this. We don't know. 
And honestly, that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because it makes us dependent upon the God who knows. The God who knows. So what do we know? We know we need a plan with God in mind. So let's look at verse 17. Don't neglect the good you know. Don't neglect the good you know, verse 17. So it is to know the good and yet not do it. It is sin. It is and yet not do it. So directly within this context, the arrogant position of at least some in the congregation is harmful, and it is good to bring your plans before God and to surrender them to His will. So when James says, don't neglect the good you know, he is saying that perspective of arrogance is sin, but to know that you need to do something differently and you don't do it, that's sin too. Maybe if people have talked about sins, you've heard about sins of commission and sins of omission, those being the things that you do are sins. There are also things that you don't do that are sins. And what James is saying here is, so it is, sin, to know that you ought to plan with God in mind. To surrender yourself to Him. To trust Him with all that you do. You know that's the case, and you still live like this? That's sin. And that's sin. Don't neglect the good you know. Even plan not seeking evil for our neighbor and not speaking negatively about our neighbor does not mean that we are living as God would desire for us to live. It's like when your kids see a fight in the house and they go, yeah, but did you do anything to stop it? Did you, did you, or did you just not do worse? Like, like, aren't you glad that I didn't make it worse? Well, not if you knew what you should have done and didn't do it. That's what he's saying here. If you just don't make plans because you don't want to be the arrogant person, but you don't submit to God, you're still not doing what the Lord would have for you to do. You go, yeah, well, forget it. I read James uh, 4, and I'm not going to make plans ever again. That's not the application here. That's not the point here. The point is, submit yourself, your life, your plans, your family, your everything to God. Because that's what Jesus did with his Heavenly Father. So, I have a question for you. What are you doing tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, right? Strategy. Like, we don't know what we're doing tomorrow. Who knows? The Lord. It is more important to know the person who knows what tomorrow holds than it is for you to know what tomorrow holds. It's more important for you to live in a right relationship with Jesus than it is for you to be confident about what's coming in your life or in my life or in my life. Planning isn't against God. But arrogant, overconfident, unsubmitted planning is. 
There's much more for us as a humble and surrendered and dependent people that God can bring about.